Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. And the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. I just had a personal note from British pianist Paul Lewis after our interview at Sean Swinney's recording studio on West 54th in Manhattan. He said, and I quote, It was such a pleasure to chat with you in New York City. It really does make a difference when interviews can be as relaxed and personable as that. It was a joy for me to chat with this wunderkind of the piano. And perhaps because I also come from a blue-collar background, it was easy chatting with a man who, after being born into a working-class family in Liverpool, has raised himself up to the title of maestro at the keyboard. And it was through listening that he formulated a love of classical music, careful listening to the classical masterpieces that were available at his local library. And now, after perfecting his art, he has performed with almost every major orchestra in the world, is the artistic director of Midsummer Music Festival in the UK, has been appointed as one of the artistic directors of the Leeds Piano Competition, and amongst the accolades to his name is the CBE from Queen Elizabeth and her recent 90th birthday honors list. When I spoke with him, he was about to embark on an American tour that took him to the mostly Mozart Festival, Tanglewood, and Ravinia. I attended his intimate performance of Schubert and Brahms he gave at the mostly Mozart Festival on August 2nd. The concert was part of a little night music series where the hour was late and the setting delightful in the Kaplan penthouse, which used to be reserved for jazz concerts. The penthouse is a 10th floor room at Lincoln Center, surrounded in glass with views out to the Hudson River. Everyone sat at tables with a complimentary glass of wine. The scenario was relaxed and seemed somehow unlikely for a performance of this caliber. But when Paul Lewis strode out on stage with a Manhattan light shedding a glow upon him, it all seemed like a perfectly staged classical soiree. The audience was being invited to have a glimpse of the man as well as the music. Dressed in a relaxed shirt and trousers, Paul Lewis embraces what I would call the changing face of classical music today, to let the music speak for itself especially when the venue is relaxed and real, much like Midsummer Music Festival that he and his wife have begun. But there is a side of Paul that is chic with his own personal and youthful vibe. In his charming fashion, he encourages the way in to the young concertgoers who will eventually be the patrons of this art form. It was extraordinary at this setting that the crowd was held in rapture by his exquisite playing, a rarity with a New York City audience totally quiet. And in the case of the final Brahms Ballade, they were holding their breath at the end as Paul held them with the depth of his performance. In the second part of my interview with Paul Lewis, we talk about his investiture with the CBE in the Queen's Birthday Honors, his experience studying with the legend Alfred Brendel, and how listening still leads his artistic genius. But first, here is Paul with his beloved Beethoven in the final movement of the Beethoven Sonata No. 14, you will recognize as the last movement of the Moonlight Sonata.
like the New York vibe? Oh, I love the New York vibe. <laughs> it was when I first came here, which was in about, oh, when was it? 2000 or something. Um, it was pretty overwhelming, I have to say, mm -hmm. New York. I mean, it's crazier than London. <laughs> yes, it is, in another way. What, what was the first concert you played here? First time I played here was um, on this new generation scheme, or rise, no, ri rising star scheme, that's what it's called. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I played in, in Weill, and mm -hmm. then shortly after that played a, um, a kind of a Lincoln-centered debut in the Walter Reed Theatre, you know, that they have the Excellent. debut recitals there. So that was, what, 16 years ago or something. Um, but, but New York at that time was, you know, I, I felt quite overwhelmed by mm -hmm. it. I mean, there's, a, there's certainly a New York vibe, but I guess there are many different types of New York vibes, depending on which <laughs> area of New York you, you find yourself. Um, and, and for me, the, the next few visits were, a, for me, it's a question of just finding my New York and then going from there and, right. and since, you know, sort of right. building on that. And for years now, I just, uh, you know, I've been so excited to come to New York every time. I love coming here. Are, are you a kind of guy that likes to get into Brooklyn? Well, you know, I, I haven't been to Brooklyn that many times, actually. I've, I've been, well, you know, I've, I've been a few times um, to, to restaurants, you know, with, with, with people mm -hmm. because it's a great place to eat there. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just wonderful. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but most of the time, I, I guess I, I spend in the city when, when I'm here. Um, but no, Brooklyn is, is a place I, I need to explore little more. Yeah, yeah. It, it's cool. It's very cool. Uh, just about as cool as the fact that you've been awarded a CBE by the Queen. My goodness. I mean, look at you, the commander of the British Empire. If only it existed. Well, yeah. it doesn't, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. You've just left the, the EU, so oh, we'll see what happens. Um, <laughs> yeah, if we get onto that, oh dear, yeah. Paul, can you just share with we mere mortals in America, what, what is the experience like of, of receiving this honor from the Queen? Well, um, actually, it was just last month that, that I was on the... The, the birthday honors list. So the, the, the plan is that, that you go to an investiture mm -hmm. at Buckingham Palace, um, but that happens sometime before the end of the year. Oh, and they write I to you and see. give you um, uh, various options of, of dates to go along. You know, it's, I mean, who wouldn't be curious to go to Buckingham Palace and mm -hmm. with, 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 you know, everything that it is and, and all of that. It's more of... Uh, for me, it's more for the kids, actually. I mean, imagine, you know, I've got three kids who are 8, 10, and 11. And for them to go to Buckingham Palace and see the Queen and all that, it's it's a bit like a fairy tale. Yeah, thing, it's pretty cool, you know. isn't it? It'll be an experience for them that they won't so the whole forget. family is invited? Yeah. Oh, how fantastic. How fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so has this changed your life in, in any way? No. Were you no. shocked? Well, yeah, I, I would never expect to, to get one of those gongs. But um, when I got the letter, which was what, back in, in April, I thought, wow, you know, I mean, it's, it's all secretive. You don't know that you've been mm -hmm. nominated or considered or anything like that. You just get a letter um, asking if you'd accept it, 
you you can decline it if if you want um mm-hmm. but but then yeah it 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 was it was a bit of a shock because you know to be honest it's it, there's a lot of sort of different feelings about about that especially with the you know the reference to the british empire and all mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. i think especially brits can feel slightly uncomfortable with with all, all that that sort of stuff yeah um but then again it's just the honors system it's the way you know the country mm-hmm. does all that um so yeah it's uh, of course it's nice to be to be honored in that way of course just say <laughs> yes and bow that's all you need to do <laughs> so now what ha- with your with regard to your three children how are you imparting life to them i mean are you encouraging them to be musicians and how are you kind of constructing their educational system well uh we want them to to appreciate music we want that to be part of their education as far as we're concerned it is part of their education mm-hmm. um our eldest daughter she starts secondary school this september mm-hmm. um and she's we're very happy she's going to the school we wanted her to go to which is a a wonderfully broad education you know it, it's not i mean it's it, it's great academically but it's great in many other ways as, as well um but music we want yeah we want them to appreciate music <clears throat> i remember years ago i just um played a concert it was in chicago actually with colin davis and lso and at that time we just had our third child our, our son and um colin after the concert we were having dinner and he, he said what are you planning to do with your kids as far as music is concerned and I said very casually, oh, it's fine, you know, whatever they want. If they want to play, they can play. If they don't want to play, they don't have to. Mm-hmm. And then he looked at me and said, oh, it's not quite that simple, you know. I said, oh, really? And he said, the thing is you have to have them make friends with music because when you think about it, music is the thing that takes you away from them. It's the reason why you go away from home. And when you're at home, it might be the reason why you're kind of absent that you're consumed by something else if you don't have them make friends with music and appreciate music for what it is they'll resent it and they might even resent you for doing it wow and i just thought what a profound i know and how true it could be exactly and it's something that that really stayed with me um and my wife and i you know, I remember telling my wife and she just thought, goodness me, you know, that, that's, that's incredible. We have to yes. bring music into their lives. Yes, I think so. Um, so, so we have. And besides, you know, it's one thing that we, we can do. It's a positive thing that we can do for our kids. So mm-hmm. I guess your know, parents do plenty of negative things. And I'm sure we do lots of that too, but but at least it's one positive thing that we, we can bring. That's absolutely marvelous. I think you should bring <clears throat> in that organ that you first improvised on at home <laughs> and give it to some of the kids. I think that would be telling. <laughs> we'll see where this leads. Yeah. And and now meeting you and and, and finding your, your beautiful personality. You are so low-key and, and you're so lovely. Your festival, Midsummer Music, is is you really. Um, there, there are no star recitals or pomposity as there is just a great way to hang out and, and make beautiful music. Yeah. 
we started it in 2009. We've just had our eighth festival oh, this, this summer, last month. And it's, it was just something that we wanted to do at home because when you travel a lot, it's, it's just so nice to be at home. We wanted yeah. to create something that, that we could do at home. And we get great people. You know, we get wonderful musicians to, to come to the festival. Um, like you said, we don't have any concerts which are just devoted to one person. There are no star recitals mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Everybody mixes and matches, and and each program is a is a mix of of different things, um, and we, we all just we just want to to make the best music we can with as little pressure as we can. So we we don't we, we haven't invited radio or a, anything like that. So there are no microphones, so mm -hmm. people feel really at ease, and we just have a wonderful time. It's like having our musician friends around for dinner for a weekend and it's it feels it feels like a wonderful social thing and um, having a, a salon soiree really yeah the, the place we, we found this this little church 10 minutes from where we live which we can get about 200 people into um and this summer we did five concerts um all all full beautiful so that's that that's what we do and there are no themes to this, because I know all these festivals now are bent on having huge themes, of which sometimes I tire of. Yeah. You know, sometimes I just want to sit down and enjoy some music as, as if it's spontaneous. Yeah. I think the theme thing is just a, a marketing thing. And, you know, you, you, you speak, speak to people so, well, who, who invite you to their festival, yeah. uh, but we have this theme thing, well... Actually, you know, I'm not sure I have anything that, that really fits that theme. They said, oh, so don't worry, we can always find reasons for, you know, <laughs> that, that, that fitting with that. And I suppose you can, but, but we don't know. We just want people to, to, to play what, what they're comfortable with at that time. I think this sounds divine. And I'm thinking maybe even this is the future of classical music. In, in fact, I'm hoping it is. This sounds very sincere and honest and, and loving to the, to the state of the classical music world. Yeah, it, it, just, it really is just what it is. And we do, we do a school's concert as well. We get um, a, a class of seven and eight-year-olds in before we start the, the festival itself. And that, that's also a wonderful thing. We, we, we get them in just before they go into the next school year where they're offered instrumental lessons. So it kind of whets their appetite. And I think the uptake has been, been pretty good. Since pretty we positive, yeah. I would think so, Paul yeah. Lewis. I would <laughs> think so. So I started this interview by talking about the importance of listening. Listening has literally changed your life. Um, and now, whether it be working with an orchestra, Mark Padmore, or your piano collaborations with many other people, what does listening, listening now entail for you, Paul? Listening. Goodness me. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to describe exact, exactly the... Well, no, I suppose it's not that difficult to describe the difference between hearing and, and, and listening. Mm. Yeah, listening is something where you, you have to open yourself to listen. You know, we, we, can, we, we all hear things, but, but to, to really listen. Listening is understanding. Listening is experiencing. And I think you have to open yourself to that experience. There you are. Um, that's, that's, uh, and that's just the start of it. 
That's just the yes. start. Because then you start to speak to yourself, don't yes. you? With your music making. Yeah. This is so fantastic. Yeah. A life so well lived. Okay, where to from now? After all these concerts and you're going into Brahms, are we going into Rachmaninoff after that? Uh, um, I came from Rachmaninoff, actually. Ah. <laughs> In my teens and 20s, I played a lot of that stuff, a lot of Rachmaninoff concertos. I was addicted to Russian music, to Prokofiev and Scriabin. Oh, really? and Yeah, um, it, especially in my teens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know exactly what happened, but I, I just sort of went away from it at some point and mm-hmm. went more in the Germanic classical uh, direction. Uh, I, I guess it partly coincided with connecting with Alfred Brendel in my, in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, I remember I gave a, a recital sometime in my twenties that was broadcast on the radio from, from the Wigmore Hall. And in that context, I played, I played a Beethoven sonata, uh, some list pieces, and I, I ended with Prokofiev's seventh sonata. And when I got home, there was a message from Alfred Brendel who'd, who'd heard the recital and wanted me to call him. And I thought, okay, so he's got some things to tell me about the Beethoven, mm-hmm. probably. And he didn't. He wanted to talk about the Prokofiev. And he had the music, uh, as he was speaking to me on, on the phone, had the music <laughs> on the piano. He was demonstrating, he was sort of reading bits of the, the slow movement of Prokofiev 7, which is the last thing I would have expected. But it, it shows you how interested in all music he, he, he really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how fantastic <laughs> is that? Uh, did, did I read that you had actually sat down with him after you first met him at a master class? He invited you back to his house, and you analyzed and played for hours uh, the list, uh, Dante. <laughs> that, that was an experience, because the Dante Sonata was a piece that I played. I first played it when I was 15, and oh at this point I was, I was 20. And I played it, I think, on and off those five years mm-hmm. quite a lot. And felt I knew it well as as much as you feel you know something when you're twenty, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I played it to him. Yeah, the piece lasts quarter of an hour, but we spent five hours on it straight through without a break. And the the, the effect of that lesson. So that was the first time I played to him at at his home. Okay. Uh, the effect of it was so devastating when I when I got back home. I felt I, I couldn't even find the notes of the piece. This is a piece that I, I did know reasonably oh. well. Um, but I just didn't know where the notes were anymore, so I had to leave it and come back to it yes. uh, weeks, even months later and try to make sense of, of what he said in a way that is sort of translated into my way of thinking. Of course, you know. of course. Um, but, but yeah, that, that was, that was baptism by fire. I would well, say. Sort of appropriate because it was the Dante Sonata, I suppose. Yeah. I hope every lesson wasn't like that, Paul. <laughs> Not every lesson was quite as intense as that. But I'm sure it was daunting. Uh, yeah. And, and I'm sure it took a lot of time for you to, to learn to deal with this kind of master. Um, yeah. It felt unreal for, for a long time. Yeah, again, thinking that I'm this uh, boy from from Heighton you know, who mm-hmm. who used to take out all his records when I was eight years old, mm-hmm. and yeah, it took took a long time for me to get my head around 
the the idea that I was going to his house for for lessons. Yeah, every, yeah, seriously. Every couple of months, really. Yeah. But you've survived. Yeah, I, su- I suppose I survived, <laughs> or something. And you're and you're stronger for it. <laughs> believe me, you're still listening. What um, if I asked you for one word to describe yourself? What would it be? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> I absolutely. <clears throat> I, I'm no good at things like that. And, you know, I, I, with these sort of questions, I, I come out with something quite awkward, and then six hours later, I'll think of something else and think, oh, I wish I would have said that. So I, I, I'm really no good at I, What can I say about myself? I, you I, already have. I leave it to other people. To... I like that. We're going to take no idea as, as the phrase. Okay? Oh, that's good. Okay. <laughs> that is honest. I like that. <laughs> And to the young artists out there who, who are just starting, and, and you're still young. I mean, you know, we can't refer getting, to you as older. if you're, you know, you may have three children, but you're still a youngster. Ooh. Well, thank you. It's very flattering. <laughs> how, to the young artists out there that you meet and uh, you see playing, if they, how do they keep the dream going uh, if, they're, if they're dreaming of that performance career? Just be honest about what's important to you. That that's that's my advice. You know, if you if you want to sustain a whole life in in music, then it, it you you have to love it. You have to be totally honest about what what mo- what motivates you mm-hmm. to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think at all points, it's good to remind yourself of that, um, because sometimes you know you can get you can be frustrated. You can be stressed, you can be exhausted, you can be exasperated, you can be all sorts of negative things um, as a result of doing what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to step back and take a moment to remind yourself of why you actually set out mm-hmm. to do this, I think is, is really important. Mm-hmm. I think to bear that in mind is what, what I'd say. I, I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I know uh, my friend Graham Johnson, um, who you know very well, I'm sure, uh, always said that music will never turn on you, that um, it may feel like it from time to time, mm. but music will always be your best friend. And, and I, I think that is ultimately true. And I can, I can see from the way you've worked and the way you've come, built your career and, and your own honesty with yourself and your music making, it is your best friend. Yeah, it's, it's a special friend. Um, and I would second that, what, mm-hmm. what Graham said, mm-hmm. absolutely. It doesn't, it doesn't judge you. It's fantastic. It's, it, music, music is it's unconditional. Paul Lewis has kind eyes and a gentle way about him, but his music speaks with unconditional passion and strength. We will be hearing more from this poetic musician, and the world and the future of classical music is better for it. And ladies and gentlemen, the curtain is now down on center stage. (laughs) ¶¶ 